How was everybody? Good. I was in my office uh, right before I came out here, and um, I was looking at the live stream on the Facebook page, and I noticed I wore this shirt last week. And I was like, you know, I mean, it's been cleaned, you know, it's been washed, but a lot of you only see me once a week, and you're like, hmm, that guy, right? I wonder if he washes his clothes. I do, just to get it out there, uh, but I wasn't thinking I wore the same shirt, so. I know you guys don't care. I'm just kind of insecure right now, so. Anyways, <laughs> if you haven't been to the church before, we just wrapped up the book of Acts last week, and I, I went back. We did that book for 10 months. That is a long time, guys. Just want, want to let you know, that's, that's 10 months of my life that I dedicated to just that book of the Bible, but I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was really good. Uh, not my teaching. I'm just saying the book, of, the, the book of Acts is really good, and um, hope that was a blessing to you. Now, what we're doing today, and I was planning on giving a presentation on Uganda today, and I'm going to do that. Uh, but I felt like the Lord was kind of working on me about something, and it's, it's really simple stuff today. And if you're new here, this is not a typical lesson for us. We're typically breaking open the Word of God, and we're going through a chapter of a Bible that we've been studying for you know, a long time. And That's typically what we do. Today's a little bit different. But the reason why I felt like God was kind of working on me about fundamentals, right? And I talk about fundamentals a lot. We're going to really talk about fundamentals today. I meet with a lot of people. I schedule typically about, about 12 meetings with, with people from the congregation a week, which is pretty significant for, for a pastor of, of a church like this, right? It's, so I meet with about 50 people a month, and that's not including like just emergencies and things like that that come up, and we do our best to meet with people, and I have a lot of people that help me, but it's interesting. When people's lives are, are falling apart, hard times are, are hitting them, maybe they've made some mistakes, they've done some dumb things, which we all do, right? Whenever we find ourselves in those predicaments, most of the time, the answers for every problem are, are pretty much the same. You know, when, when people are looking to get their life back on track, Corey, I don't know what to do. And there's these steps that I continually give people, and they're pretty simple, but you have to make these things a priority. And that's what we're gonna go over today is when life is kind of a mess, when things haven't gone the way you want them to, but you wanna get back on track, like what are practical things that we need to do to get there? And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about. Last week when we finished off Acts, we talked about that the message of Jesus goes beyond the messengers. So it's not really about us, it's about him. It's about his message, right? It's bigger than us. Now this week, we're gonna talk about life, right? We're going to talk about if we're going to weather this life, and if you're in this, in this room and you've lived any length of life, uh, you know that it can be brutal. It can be very, very difficult, and it can be very easy to give up, and it can very easy, it can, it's very easy to get off track. So if we're going to get back on track, again, we need some fundamental things that we need to do in our life, and they have to be a priority, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So this week, I wrote my second book. You're holding it right now. There's a lot of notes right there, guys. Look at that. Got that page in the middle. Look at that. Isn't that impressive? There's a lot of notes in there. Uh, I actually had to take some stuff out after the five. I'm like, people were like, like losing it, right? So I'm like, I should shorten this a little bit. So it's actually going to be in a timely manner today, so don't worry. It's going to be good. But you have some excess notes there if you want them. And uh, we're going to go over these fundamentals. I'm also going to warn you, you're not going to be blown away today. Blown away today. You're going to step back and be like, Corey, we already knew these things which I'm saying a little tongue-in-cheek because if we already know these things, then maybe we should do them, right? But anyways, so uh, you're not going to be blown away with any new information today. If you're a, uh, a non-believer in this room, 
This will actually be fantastic for you. You will see what it looks like or what it should look like for a Christian to live day to day, right? So this is going to be a very, I think, hopefully very educational lesson for you today. Hopefully it will encourage you a little bit. There may be a little sass thrown in there periodically, but that's just the way God made me, right? So like, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, hooray, Corey's a jerk. So, um, so we're going to pray. We're going to work through this and we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you so much. We love you. We thank you, God. Father, as we go into Fourth of July week, Lord, we want to thank you for the wonderful nation that we live in, for the wonderful freedoms that we have, God, for the men and women who have given their life, Lord, so we can enjoy what we're doing right now, that we have freedom of religion in this country, God, a very rare thing in this world and a very beautiful right, Lord, that we've been given. Thank you for that. Lord Jesus, God, pray that you bless every church in our city. Bless all of our great nonprofits that we work with, Lord. Keep your hand on us today. God, as we are just honest and transparent, don't let our feelings get hurt or don't let us be overtly sensitive. And God, don't let guilt and shame get a hold of us today. But Lord, just let us move forward. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give this afternoon to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a lot of the people that I meet with, we come across kind of the same excuse. And we've all used it. I've used it. We look at other people, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people, and the Bible says not to do that, but we have a tendency to compare each other with people, and we look at other people and we say, I would have a master's degree if I just had the time. I would make more money if I just had the time. I'd be more spiritual, I'd read my Bible more, I'd look more like so-and-so if I just had the time. Now here's the thing about that. Unless you live in like the Andromeda galaxy where they have two suns, everyone on this planet has 24 hours in a day. We all have the same exact amount of time. I had a pastor say to me one time, because I was complaining, saying, oh, I just don't have the time. He goes, you know, Corey, astronauts have the same amount of hours in a day that we have. And I was like, okay, I get your point, right? It's not an issue of how much time we have. It's an issue of our priorities. It's what we do with that time. If you want to become more educated, then you're going to have to sacrifice some time and put that towards education. If you want to become more successful in business or finance or whatever that case, you have to sacrifice time to make time for that. If you want to become more spiritual, you have to sacrifice some time and allocate that extra time towards growing spiritually. Now, the Wall Street Journal did a study on this a couple of years ago, and a very, very extensive one, a very, very comprehensive one. The Wall Street Journal broke down an average 24-hour day for a working American. So about eight and a half hours a day is done with personal care. That includes sleep. That's not just people brushing their teeth for eight and a half hours, right? Got all that plaque off, right? Eight and a half hours that includes sleep as well. We work a little bit over eight hours, most of us a day. Here's the one I want to focus on, though. 3.34 hours of our day is watching TV, we're on the phone, or we're just doing mindless leisure. Of course, we have a couple hours a day that we eat. We have time that we're doing chores. Half hour of shopping, mostly on Amazon and eBay. Less time. We spend more time on Amazon and eBay than we do helping out our kids and our spouse. And then we do a whopping eight minutes a day doing something for our community or something religious slash spiritual. For most people, they go to service one hour a week. And if you divide that by seven, that's about eight minutes a day. And that's what people do, right? This is their average day. So here's the thing. When we look at how we do the day, God knows that we need to sleep. God knows that we need to work. God knows that we need to spend time for our kids and, and, and with our wife and our husband. God also knows that you need time for yourself. That's 
why we have a Sabbath day. God knows these things. But what God also knows is you're never going to do those things well if you don't put him first. So God says, why don't you put me above, of all, above all those things and you will be able to function in those things better. But the reason why you and I don't do that is we sometimes don't trust God very much. We say we do, but when it comes to our finances or our marriage or our work or whatever the case is, we don't really trust God as much as we say we trust God. But here's what Jesus said about that. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The idol worshipers do that. People that put these things above God, that's what they stress out about. Don't do that. Jesus says, your father in heaven knows you need all those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What Jesus is saying is God knows you need to work. And if you put God first, he's going to find out a job for you. He's going to find a way to get you employment. God knows you need a healthy marriage. So if you would put him first, he will make sure that he helps you during your time in your marriage. God knows you need time for yourself, but if you'll put him first, he will allow you to relax and have peace and have that time for yourself. Put him first. So before we move on today, all of us, right? Before we move on, we're going to have to ask ourselves a question and we're going to have to be honest. And we have to ask ourselves, what is truly important to me? Now, I know every Christian in the room is, well, Corey, Jesus is most important to me. And that's not true either. See, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be too. So wherever your time, money, and energy go, that's what's most important to you in life. If we give eight minutes a day to God and we say Jesus is the most important thing in our life, we're lying. We are not being honest. So the question isn't how much time do we have? We've established we all have 24 hours today. The question is, what in the heck are we going to do with that 24 hours? What are we going to invest in during that time? So again, before we move forward, if you are in this room, and any of you who've had a one-on-one -on -one with me in my office, I have told you these foundations. I've told you first thing, and I'm going to go through them. I've gone through these different steps. But if you are in this room right now, and if you can honestly say, I want to know Jesus better, if you can honestly say, I want a better relationship with God, if you can say that, I'm going to show you the steps to have a better relationship with God, and guys, they are not complicated. Sometimes we get busy and distracted, but the path is not a complicated path, okay? So here's where we're at. If you do not want to do this, today is going to bore you. But if you do want to do this, I think you'll be intrigued by some of it. Okay, step one is church. You need to make church a priority. The New York Times, which is not a Christian publication, I don't know if you guys knew that or not, they wrote this about church. One of the most striking scientific discoveries is that going to church weekly is good for you. Attendance boosts the immune system, decreases blood pressure, may add two or three years to your life. The reason is not entirely clear. I love how they throw that in, right? <laughs> so here's the point though, right? The point is not that we come to church because, you know, like we get a six pack and our blood pressure goes down. That's not why we come to church. That has not happened to me. But in fact, the opposite is true if you work for a church. Blood pressure goes up and you actually die younger, right? So anyways, 
But coming to church on a weekly basis, the point that the New York Times was making is, it's not just good for your soul, it's good for your mind and it's good for your body. It's good for you. Go to church. And so here's the thing. We have this mantra in the United States though, you guys have heard people say it, you might have said this, where we hear people say, or, or, or maybe we've even said, well, you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back on that. Nowhere in the Bible that I read does it even allude to supporting that sentence. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, a weekly worship service was a part of the followers of God's life. Nowhere in the Bible is it supported that you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. In fact, I would argue that the Bible is quite adamant that it says you do have to go to church to be a good Christian. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Acts 2 and 9, Matthew 16, and probably the most blatant is Hebrews chapter 10. How dare you, Corey? This is how I dare. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works not staying away from worship meetings as some of you habitually do. But it's football season, Corey. But God doesn't care, person X. Encouraging each other more and more as Jesus is drawing near. The closer it comes to Christ coming back, the more we should value church and going to church. So there's almost always a connection in my experience I meet, again, with about 12 people a week. That's about 50 people a month. And in my experience, almost every single time someone's life is falling apart, there's a correlation between their life falling apart and their church attendance. Almost every single time. People that do not make coming to church on a weekly basis a priority often find themselves in bad places. Now, does that mean that if you come to church every week that you're somehow exempt from hard times? Absolutely not. But when you have a lot of people around you bearing your burdens, holding you up, ready to hear confession and ready to support you in times of trouble, you can make it through the hard times. That's why we have church. That's why we have this, for the community part of it, for the support part of it. Here's the other thing about step one. Don't wait to be perfect to come to church. In fact, this is where you need to be when you're not perfect. Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And even if you're struggling, even if you're hung over, even if you relapsed, even if you're struggling with porn, whatever the case is, be here. Be here on a weekly basis. Come to church. We need this sanctuary. We need a safe place to be encouraged and loved and to find people that are like-minded who will help us out, okay? The second step is this, we have to pray. The University of Wisconsin did a study on prayer. Again, not a Christian entity, right? 2010, sociologists from UW wrote, those who choose to pray find comfort during hard times. The 75% of people who pray on a weekly basis, once a week, are able to manage a range of negative situations and emotions, illnesses, sadness, trauma, and anger. Let me pause here for a second, and I didn't say it at any of the other services, but I'm gonna say it at this one. Before you go to your doctor and get a prescription medication because you're sad, why don't you try talking to Jesus first? Amen. Now, don't, because I know that offends some of you. I know some of you that hurts your feelings. But before we run and start doping up our kids, why don't we try praying first? But they find relief, or how they find relief has gone 
unconsidered by researchers. There that is again, right? Prayer is good, church is good, but we don't know why, right? There it is again. So what we learn is people that pray handle the stress of life better. So why should we pray as Christians? One, we pray as Christians because we're in a relationship with God. We don't just pray whenever we want something from God. Imagine if every time your spouse talked to you is just to get something from you. That would not be a very healthy relationship, but that's what we do to God. So we're supposed to talk to God. Tell him about your day. Tell him about your kids. Tell him about your struggles. Tell him about your hopes and your dreams. Talk to him. He's our husband. Prayer is also a time to confess. For those of you in the room don't have, who, who don't have a father in your life, I don't. 12 years of my 38 years on this planet, I have not had a dad in my life. And here's the thing about having our heavenly father, is when I do struggle, I can go to him and I can get down on my knees in my office and put my head on the couch and say, Father, I love you. I've been struggling with pride this week. Father, I've been arrogant this week. Father, I have not thought pure thoughts this week. And God doesn't condemn me and beat me down. He holds me like his son and says, I love you. We're going to make it through this. Lean on me. Depend on me. And God's there. He's our heavenly father. And we can confess to him. Prayer humbles us because we remember who's in control. And you know who's in control? Not you. God's in control. Of course, prayer is the time when we ask for things. The Bible says we have not because we've asked not. So it is a time for us to talk to him and ask him for things. Prayer is also a time for us to intercede. It's a very churchy word, but all it means is all of us in this room have friends and family who are lost. They don't know the Lord. And we are called to step in, as Isaiah said, fill in the gap and pray for those people and lift them up so God will touch their hearts and touch their lives. When we pray, we learn to listen to God. We learn to start to follow the will of God. We must also pray with a good attitude, guys. And we must pray with proper motives. We're to pray God's will. We're to pray with proper motives. And we're to pray with humility. We're not talking to Santa Claus. We're not trying to get presents. We're asking the will of God. We're asking for God's guidance and direction, right? That's what we're doing. We're not just saying, give me, give me, give me. We're saying, God, which way do we go? So here's some practical things to help you with your prayer life. If I'm going to tell you to pray, let me help you a little bit and show you a little bit some tools on how to pray. The first thing I encourage you is pray out loud. Well, Corey, I like to pray in my head. I know it's uncomfortable. Get over it. Pray out loud. There is something about hearing your prayers that is powerful. There's something about speaking someone's name. There's something about speaking Jesus's name that is extremely powerful. There is something about confessing. It's one thing to think in your head, man, I struggle with porn. It's another thing to say, I struggle with porn. And you hear it, but it's liberating. And God hears that confession and he blesses that. We also need to pray with intentionality. If you have to write out your prayers, write out your prayers. If you have to go follow the model of the Lord's prayer in Matthew, follow that. Here's what I do, guys, and, and, and I've given you a lot of this in my office. Take a piece of paper, start in this order. Write down 10 things you're thankful for. Write down three or four things you need to repent for. Write down 20 people you need to pray for, and then put down yourself. Make yourself last on your prayer list. God, asking for forgiveness, other people, and then pray for the things you need. 
Schedule a time to pray. Well, that's legalistic, Corey. No, 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 no. We're all busy, right? It's okay to use your Apple calendar for like meeting your friends for coffee. You should do the same with God. Put it in your calendar. Every day I'm at this church at 7.30 and I pray from 7.30 to 8. It's just my time with God and I start my work day. Do that. Whatever it looks like in your life, schedule time to pray. If you need to journal, right? If you're one of those people, right? Journal your prayers and then go back. I used to journal, right? I don't do it much anymore. But if you journal, go back and look at your journal and see all the things that God has done for you over time. And here's the last thing. We need to live the way that God wants us to live. We need to live righteously. Now, God hears us every time we call. If we genuinely call, he hears us. But here's the thing about living righteously. If we confess our sins one to another and pray for another, it says the urgent request of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Sometimes some of our prayers are not answered because we have some other junk that we need to take care of before God can get to that. The prayers of a righteous person are highly effective. They are powerful. The third thing, go to church, pray, and now you're probably wondering why I have an elephant for Reed, but we'll get to that here in a second. So the, the, the Word of God, this book, right? This is the mind of God on paper. I cannot begin to even tell you how important it is that you get one of these and that you start to read this thing. Not only is it the inspired Word of God, this is the book that teaches us how to live. It teaches us, it rebukes us, it trains us on how to be the best people we can possibly be. It is the story of God and man. It holds the keys to how we live in harmony with God. That is a very, very important book. I know it's also a scary book. Not scary because there's bad stuff in it. Scary because it's big, it's dense, and it's just a very intimidating book. Now, here's my thing to that. It should be a little intimidating. The most important words ever written should be handled with a lot of respect and a lot of care. This is a very, very important book. It should be a little intimidating. But that shouldn't stop us from diving into it. Now, here's why I put the elephant on there, right? Everyone knows how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. How does one read the Bible? One verse at a time. Little by little. Start small, but keep on chewing. Keep on moving forward. If you've never read the Bible before, start in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Skip the next three books and then read the book of Acts and just keep reading through. Look, don't try to conquer it in a month either. You ever meet those people? I'm going to read this thing in a month. And I'm like, good luck, and no, you're not. So, right? <laughs> you're just setting yourself up for failure. Just take a couple of chapters a day, guys, and just read it and just slowly work your way into it. You're going to get discouraged if you do it any other way. But go through the New Testament. If you're really, really brave, start in the book of Genesis. And this sounds disrespectful, but I'm not trying to be. Kind of skim through Leviticus, skim through Numbers, right? and just kind of get the gist of the story of the Old Testament. Man, it's a, it's a really well-written book. It's a beautiful story. Just keep moving forward, okay? Also, find a Bible that works for you. Besides the heretical cults like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness, nice people, bad theology, but besides those translations of the Bible, virtually every translation of the Bible comes down to the same conclusions. People ask, what's the best translation? the one that you will read, right? Take that translation, buy it, and read it. Listen, invest in a good study Bible. 
Corey, those things are like 60 bucks. Well, maybe you can search for some good deals on that $1,000 phone that you have in your pocket. Right? That one's, that one's been building up. It's good. <laughs> here's the thing, though. Here's how spoiled we are there. If you have one of those $1,000 phones, you can download version for free, and it will read you any translation of the Bible. And if, if, if that's not your cup of tea, you can get a CD. That's a compact disc. You can get a CD. <laughs> And they have the Bible read by guys like Morgan Freeman and stuff. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> and God created, right? That's my best Morgan Freeman. And you can listen to the whole Bible on CD if you want. How did we get here, right? Step four, right? We still got two more steps. Yeah, that's right. Step four is community, okay? Listen, here's the thing. We are not meant to do this Christian thing alone. God is communal, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has community within himself, and we are made in the image of God. All throughout the Bible, we see that we are to do life with other people. Even Jesus had a small group, right? He had his 12, and then he had his three within that 12. And when we're in some kind of a small group that intentionally gets together, it fosters confession, it fosters encouragement, it brings on the Holy Spirit, it makes us more loving people, it makes us more empathetic people. I mean, look what Jesus said. He goes, where any two or more gathered in my name, there I am with them. The Holy Spirit is working when two or three people or four or five or 10 or 12 or however many get together and discuss the Lord. Small groups, very, very important. Now this can be an official group like all the ones we have at the church, they're on the app. Or it can be an unofficial group. This can be you guys getting together with a couple of buddies and getting coffee every Tuesday. There's a group of women at this church, I think it's the cutest thing, right? They call it Taco Tuesday, where they go to different taco places all over Middle Tennessee and they have accountability and they love each other and they're good people and, and they spend time every single Tuesday, they get tacos at a different place all over Middle Tennessee. Taco Tuesdays, right? The point isn't, is it an official group or not an official group? The point is you need accountability and you need people you can be transparent with. You need people that love you and you can be honest with because we have to bear each other's burdens. We have to carry this weight together. Now, the mistake that a lot of people make and the criticism big churches get is they say, well, the church has gotten too big. Every church needs to get too big. Churches need to be growing. We want more people to go to heaven. Here's the misconception though. We don't find community in this setting. That's not what it's intended to do. In the Bible, they met on the weekends at big meetings and then all throughout the week, they met in each other's homes and they met out in the marketplace. This right here is not for community. This is for teaching, this is for worship, and this is for communion. The rest of your deep relationships have to be built outside of this place, not on the weekends, right? So we should be growing, but that just amplifies how important it is to have community, okay? Last part. Come to church, pray, read the Word of God, get into community, and then we need to give back. Psychology Today said this. This is probably my favorite quote today. Dr. Rick Hansen, who's not a Christian man, wrote in 2013, at this time in human history, 
When people feel increasingly stressed and isolated, when relationships stand on shaky ground, and when international conflicts are fueled by dwindling resources, benevolence is not just moral, it's essential. It's not just good. We have to be benevolent. We have to help each other. Now, here's the thing about Christians. We're called by the Bible to give. Man, it's crazy. People think New Testament. You go back to the Old Testament. Farmers had to give a portion of their crop by law to people who couldn't eat. We were mandated to give. We were mandated to be benevolent. All throughout the Bible, we are told to be benevolent. Now, giving comes in different ways. It's not just money. Giving comes by doing good works for people. It comes by sacrificing your time. It does come by sacrificing your money. And it also comes by sacrificing your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Everything you think you have right now is not really yours. The money in your bank account, the house you live in, your friends, your family, your kids, your spouse, these are things we are just borrowing, we are stewarding. And we only have those things because of the grace of God. And while we are here on earth, we are called to use those things well. Now, that means that we don't need to be legalistic about it. And we don't need to be socialists. It needs to be a natural reaction of a saved soul. If we have been pulled out of the ditch, we should want to pull people out of the ditch. If we have been shown love and grace, we should want to show love and grace. It should just be a natural reaction of the Christian. So I'm going to focus on money, but the point is not not money right here. The point is our heart. Another misread scripture. People say, well, money is the root of all evil. No, no, the Bible doesn't say that. It's the love of money. It's the heart that is the root of all evil. And so in the United States, we we often sit back and say, well, we're a benevolent country. We're a giving people on some levels. The average American, Christian and non-Christian, give about $150 a month to some kind of charity, a church, a nonprofit, something like that. And that sounds great, and that is great. But we spend about three times that on ourselves, on, on just on entertainment. And we as Christians say, well, we do better than that, right? Because we're Christians. We do better than the world. We actually don't. Now, 68% of the United States claims to be followers of Jesus Christ. Of that 68% of the United States, so 100% of Christians, of all the Christians in the United States, only 5% give to some kind of nonprofit or to their local church. And of that 5% that give, we only give 2.5% of our income. Now, guys, Muslims give 12.5%. Just throwing that out there. Anyways, and during the Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. We have more than we've ever had, and we're giving less than we've ever given. We've become consumers, and that's a heart issue. Money is just a byproduct of our heart issue. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into giving. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't even know who gives at this church. I don't want to know who gives. It's not about guilt and shame. It's about potential. If all of the believers in the United States that claim to follow Jesus Christ gave 10% of their income to the local church, the annual giving, annual, would be $165 billion a year. Now, I know why some of you don't give. Because we have jokers like Creflo Dollar that wants to buy his fourth jet, right? That's a joke. That's not a pastor. That's an actor and a swindler, right? That's who guys like that are. Those aren't men of God, right? Those are, she- those are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not true pastors. 
And so I know why some of you are reluctant to give, but let me show you the global impact if the church were to step up financially. $25 billion would relieve global hunger in five years. If the church gave, there would be no starving people on planet Earth within five years. If the church in the United States gave, there would be no illiteracy on planet Earth within five years. This is a study done by Relevant Magazine. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation problems this year. You know what's amazing? I'm going to pause for a second. One day, the church, I'm talking about the church, is going to have to stand in front of Jesus Christ, and we're going to have to give an account why we built $50 million church buildings and kids were starving to death on the other side of the world. Listen, and, and again, it's not a guilt thing. We have been blessed. We have been shown, man, the United States has been so blessed, and I'm glad we're blessed. There's nowhere else on planet Earth that I'd rather live than in the United States. We live in a paradise, guys. But the kind of money that we waste and the kind of consumers that we have become as Christians who've been born again by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, it should absolutely crush us that in other parts of the world, sometimes in other parts of our city, that children go without health care and without food and without water. Now, these are just the practical social things we could do around the world. We'd have an extra $1 billion a year, and that could send out all the missionaries we needed on planet Earth. And then we'd have $100 billion left annually to do whatever the heck we wanted to do with. Look at what would happen to the world if we were a benevolent people. So here's the thing, guys. Here's the practical ways that we can give back. We can start doing this today. The first thing is intentionally be kind to people. Go out of your way to be nice. Tip people well. If you go out to eat after this, give them a good tip. Seriously, right? It's a couple of bucks, guys. Add a couple of more bucks to it. Give people a good tip. Buy someone a cup of coffee. It is worth the $3 at Starbucks just to see people's reactions because no one ever does anything nice for each other, you know? So when you're standing behind just some average person, just someone you've never met, you tell the barista, hey, I'm going to get their drink, right? They order their drink and they pull out their card and the barista goes, someone else is taking care of it. You would think you were about to get brains on you, right, from the head exploding. People are just like, and they're like, you know, almost like they, they get like catatonic. It was three bucks, right? And so I get impatient after I do that and I'm like, okay, you know, now get out of the way and let me get my coffee, right? But anyway, so... <laughs> No, seriously, though, buy someone a cup of coffee. Cut your neighbor's yard. They're going to think you're a freak weirdo. How dare he touch my grass, right? Like, just cut your neighbor's yard. Weed eat it, blow it off. Like, make it look super nice and, and just do it for no reason, but just to be nice. Bring donuts to the office. Not this office. There's, there's a conspiracy at this church to get me as fat as possible, right? Don't bring your donuts here. Bring them to your work. Get them out of this church. So no donuts here. Take them to your work. Another way that we can give back is give some of your time. Volunteer, and I'm not just talking about church volunteering. Get, get into the PTO at your kid's school. Um, my wife does that. She's on the PTO. My, mom, my, my wife has become the, the PTO mom. That's, I'm like, you are old. You are on the PTO, right? <laughs> I tease her about it all the time. Volunteer at your kid's school. Volunteer at a nonprofit. Man, hey, listen, take your kids with you when you're volunteer. If you want to change their life, 
Let them see what it looks like to feed some people that don't have food. Take them with you when you're feeding and you're helping and you're doing benevolence for other people. Hey, listen, financially, I know this is always a sore spot for people. My wife and I found out what tithing was in 2003. We gave our life to, to Christ in 2002 and uh, we started tithing in 2003. Now, listen, I've never had a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money right now. I've never had a lot of money. If you trust God with your income, God will take care of you. Not just that. If you will trust God with your income, and if you don't want to give to this church, that's fine. Give to another church. But if you trust God with your income, and not just that, if you will go above and beyond and, and pick a charity that you believe in. My wife and I give to Charity Water that does uh, clean water wells all throughout the world, and we give to Mentor Leaders. We sponsor a child in Togo, Africa. It's $88 a month for those two things, and it does not break our bank. Now listen, we also don't have a $200 a month cable bill, but that's another lesson for another time. Anyways, if we can make some sacrifices, we can give, and it won't even change our lifestyle that much, and it blesses people and it changes the world. The last thing, give your talent. Some of you are fantastic mechanics in here, and there's a lot of single moms in this place that can't afford or they don't know how to do brake work on their car. There are some of you in this room that are, that are um, extremely talented musicians, and maybe it's not on this big stage. There used to be a guy that came to this church, he passed away a couple years ago, where he would take his guitar and a big repertoire of old hymns, and he would go to the, uh, uh, not Adam's place, it was one of the other retirement homes here in town, and he would go door to door, and he would ask those elderly people laying in their bed, what's your favorite hymn? And they would say it, he'd flip to it, and he'd play it and sing to them. And he did it every single week, every single Friday. Isn't that beautiful? but using your talents to bless other people. Where we need to be careful, though, is we need to make sure we don't make it about us. It's about you giving to other people. It's not about us receiving. So here's the thing, guys. Like I said earlier, this life is a marathon. I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone who's run a marathon, right? They're weirdos, right? But you talk to those people that run marathons. If you were to run up to someone in like mile 20 and you're like, hey, you having a good time right now? <laughs> yes, I'm hallucinating and I can't feel my legs, right? You know, like, <laughs> marathons are rough. <laughs> and that's what the Bible tells us life is like. It's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a thousand meters. It's a distance. And things are gonna hurt and it's gonna be tough and we need help. We need support. If you've ever run any kind of race, I've never run a marathon, I've run a 5K. But anyways, they got these people all throughout the race that cheer you on. Any of you runners know what I'm talking about, right? You hit certain miles, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Do you know the Bible says that there's a heavenly host right now? God, I got chills. There's a heavenly host of people right now who are looking down on us saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do this. I know it's tough. We've been there too. Come on, come on, come on. It's a marathon. It's hard. But if we will do these simple things, we can make it. We can make it. Guys, you gotta be at church. If you don't like me, that's fine. Find a church you like. North Boulevard, fantastic Church of Christ. New Vision, fantastic Baptist Church. World Outreach, fantastic interdenominational church. Uh, Christian Life, a fantastic charismatic church. You have all kinds of great churches in this community, wonderful churches. Go somewhere and get involved. Go somewhere and get involved and do it consistently. You also need to pray. Listen, 90% of the problems you deal with right this second as I speak 
could be fixed and worked on if we would talk to God on a daily basis. The breakdown in every relationship is always communication, every single time. And we are not communicating with God. It's no wonder that our lives fall apart. We have got to pray, and we've got to pray on a daily basis. Make the time. Also, I recommend you get one of these. All joking aside, carve out $60 and go buy a good Bible, a big, thick one with all the extra stuff in there and explanations of what's going on. Buy one of these. It is worth its weight in gold, I tell you. Please, go buy a good study Bible. Go to the Christian Publishers Outlet. You can get one of these CSB study Bibles. I think it's about 50 bucks. It's worth it. Go do it. Go do it. And just start chipping away at it, reading it. Find a group of people that love you, that you can be honest with, that will hold you accountable. Find a group of people that if you don't show up for three weeks at church, they're calling you being like, what's up? I haven't seen you. What's up? Have a group of people to where if you're struggling with something awful, right? I mean, if you have terrible things to confess, that you can confess it to them and they're not gonna beat you down, but they're gonna love you and they're gonna walk with you. Find that community. Find that community. And then the last thing is give back. God has not shown us grace upon grace just for us to consume. He has shown us grace upon grace so we can give that to other people. We can love other people. We can share with other people. We can help other people. We can get into society and into the community and give back. Simple stuff, guys. But it has to be a priority. It has to be a priority. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room, Dave is up here to my right, your left. If you have any questions about Jesus Christ, if maybe you're not a Christian, but you feel something going on right now and you don't even know where to start, you don't even know where to begin, come up here and talk to Dave. He'll do whatever he can to help you out, to get you plugged in, to, sh to, to show you the right direction. If you, if you need him to pray with you, whatever you need, okay? There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have any prayer requests, guys, don't do this alone. Let someone pray with you. Hold hands with, some, with someone, bind together, and let's pray for these needs. There's also communion all the way around you, guys. The communion is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that God gave his only son, died for us on the cross. Everyone is welcome to take that communion to remember what God has done for us. The only thing I ask, because the Bible asks it, is you must repent for your sins before you take communion. But everyone is welcome to do that. Last thing, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I do not want you to leave here feeling guilty or full of shame. If you've been a Christian for 10 years, but you've never picked up your Bible and you don't pray, I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want you to pick up your Bible and start praying. Don't feel condemnation. God didn't bring us condemnation. He brought us freedom from condemnation. But I need you to take this seriously and make it a priority. If you have been skipping church, that's okay. Just start coming to church. Make it a priority for your kids, for your family, for you. Get into community. Start giving back. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. You're so good to us. 
Lord, I love this church. I love the people of this church. God, you've blessed us, Lord. God, just give us a sense of urgency. Lord, set our priorities straight. Strengthen us, encourage us, help us, God. We so desperately need a relationship with you. Lord, for everyone who comes up and gets prayer, bless them, God, and hear them, Father. For everyone who takes communion, God, humble us and remind us how big of a deal that is. Lord, let us go out and do good works for our city. Simple acts of kindness, God. Lord, let us go out and be you in our schools, in our work, God, in our coffee shops and gyms, wherever we find ourselves, Lord. We love you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.